Oh boy. Good morning. I'll say it again. I am so glad to see you fine people. It is weird being in this church when it's empty. This building was not designed for that, was it? It was designed for us to all be here together. Kevin and Rhiannon, thank you so much for that song. Probably have to add that to our, uh, our catalog as well. That was really pretty. Thank you. Well, folks, we're still in Philippians, and I find this book to be extremely important to us, especially for our church unity. So we have learned that the Philippian believers and Paul were partakers, right? They were partners in the ministry of the gospel. They were also partners, partakers, with Paul in the defense of the gospel and, of course, in his imprisonment. And we have to remember, Paul is still in prison. However, in his communication to them, through the very letter that we are studying, we learn that there were probably, most likely, certainly issues within their congregation. Even though it was a very strong church, Paul was addressing and identifying thing issues that needed to be addressed, especially for this particular congregation. Paul has addressed things like what? Advancement of the gospel, right? Even in, even in his circumstances, God can use those. He's sovereign through Paul's chains. He addressed things like his testimony in his life or in his death, if we remember talking about that. And he taught us what it is to live for Christ. He talked about their manner of life, their citizenship, right? That conduct of living, being worthy of the gospel, standing firm together in the faith of the gospel. He's talked about single-mindedness, striving for that single-mindedness. And what are we talking about here? We're talking about one love, one spirit, one purpose, right? One mind. He brought up suffering for God. He brought up selfish ambition, submissive mind and heart as we look to others, as we look to the interest of others. And how do we do that? Christ is our most purest form of humility. That's where we learn humility. So we talked about Christ's humility. And of course, the underlying current here is obedience. This church brought Paul joy, but he is still concerned about their spiritual progress, whether he is present or he is absent, it is a concern because it's Paul's desire for the Philippian believers to be unified and to progress together in Christ. So today's text is a continuation of just how important obedience is in working out your own salvation. We will discover together what this means individually, and we're going to discover what it means corporately together because it is both. So, brothers and sisters, if you'll turn to Philippians 2. <clears throat> Philippians 2, I think most of you are already there. I'm going to read verses 12 through 18. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, 
that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. See, believers must understand that what God works in us, his purpose, his will, is for his good pleasure. Therefore, we do have a responsibility, and that is to work out what he has worked in. So everybody look at verse 12 and 13 again. You see that first word, therefore? That word is a connecting word. It connects us to what we previously talked about. Last week, if you, were, if you got to see the sermon, which I hope you did, we learned about Christ-like humility. We learned what it is to sacrifice both in service with uh, sacrifice and service with a submissive mind and a submissive heart with Christ being our ultimate example. And that therefore is connecting us to that text that we're going to continue in this week. That's what therefore does. And something else that's very important. The Bible says, my beloved, right there. It says, therefore, my beloved. These words within this text are plural. Beloved is not a singular person. We're not talking about a particular person. This is the congregation that Paul is speaking to. So my beloved speaks to the Philippian believers. Paul cannot be with them. He can't help them. His help is withdrawn. Why? Because he's miles away and he is imprisoned. So he can't help them. So he says, listen, much more, with more earnestness, but much more. In my absence, please be obedient. He knows they'd be obedient in his presence, but much more in my absence. Obedience is evidence of faith in God. This is why he is stressing this. It's evidence of faith in God. He's appealing to the whole community, the beloved, to continue to obey, which means to adopt the attitude of Christ. We've talked about that. The mindset of Christ. He wants them adopt, to adopt this in their relationship with one another. That's key. In their relationship with one another. Obedience both then is intentional and it is purposeful. So Paul's point is that once we receive salvation, guess what? It is to be put in practice through obedience. We don't just get saved and sit in the pew and go, I'm done. That's not how God works. We put into practice through obedience. And what does it say there? Work out your own salvation. Work out your own salvation. Now, there are two views to this, and unfortunately, I'm sure somewhere in the scholarly world, there is division. There's the group view, the corporate view, right? The communal view, us, our church family. And then there's the individual parts of that body. Which one are they looking at, right? Well, like I said before, while the statement applies to the church, it also applies to the individual. With the challenges to understand if Paul's talking about the whole community or if he's talking about the individual, we have to realize, brothers and sisters, it is both. 
I don't understand why there are two views when it is absolutely logical that they both go hand in hand. Both are in view here. The outworking of our personal salvation and the corporate salvation, right, of the whole assembly. And you may say, well, brother, or Pastor Mark, what? I understand my own salvation. I understand working that out. What do you mean corporate salvation? What do you mean our group, our family salvation? Well, we need to be saved from things like disunity. We need to be saved from things like friction when it comes to selfish ways within the church body. That's what Paul has been promoting and preaching this whole time. So he's saying not only individually, our personal salvation, but our corporate salvation, the whole assembly. Salvation is theirs, though. Let's talk about that real quick. Their salvation is intact. It's not like the Philippian believers aren't saved, okay? Paul is referring to the believers progressively coming to experience all the aspects and blessings of their salvation. All of it. And we're going to go over that in just a second. See, the Philippians continued in obedience, and this was kind of a mark of continuing in working out your salvation, in a sense. Their continued obedience uh, reveals that. But make no mistake, and this is very important, Paul is not saying you're working for your salvation. These people are already saved. They're saints. They've trusted Christ. They've been set apart. When he talks about working out, all right, to work out, he is talking, this meaning carries more of a working to full completion. Working to full completion. Uh, We're in a rural area. Thank you, Jesus, for that. We're in a rural area. Some of you own farms here. Some of you have worked on farms, maybe you've grown up on a farm, and you know as well as I do that in farms you have particular fields. And working out to completion, right, what we're talking about here is like a field. Just follow me for a second. When a farmer works in that field, they've mapped out the area. They want every inch of that soil to reap a wonderful harvest. They see the potential in this ground, and they are going to work in it so that they can receive what? A great harvest. Our lives have that potential. Our lives are like that field. It is very much the process of sanctification for a Christian. God sees the potential in us, and he is working every inch for a true believer, and we are to work that out. We are that great harvest. And he says, I want you to do this, though. As you work out your own salvation, Do it in fear and trembling. Now, last week, I told you that you and I would fall to our knees and bow and confess Jesus as Lord with joy. We do it with a smile on our face. Remember I said that? But I said there will be others under the earth and on the earth that will fall to their knees in fear and trembling. Now, while they'll be revering and being in awe of the great creator and before them, they will be in terror. This is a literal fear and trembling for them. They will be shaking in their boots for rejecting the very Christ that now stands before them and says, (laughs) Well, I told you, right? This fear and trembling that he's talking about for us, we have to understand that it is reverence, it's respect, right? It's great humility, it's awe. I love that word, being in awe. It's a healthy fear of offending God. It's a healthy fear of being disobedient to God that we always recognize. So when we work at our salvation, he wants us to do it with fear and trembling. So we are working to bring something to completion while we actively pursue obedience, attitude, mind, and heart, as we actively pursue those things in obedience while we are bringing this work to completion. 
We revere God. We humble ourselves to the purpose of his will for our lives, not our will. Remember, I've talked about single-mindedness. We want to be lined up with Christ. Our work, brothers and sisters, this is important. Our work is derivative of and fully dependent on God's work. Remember that as I go further here. It's derivative of and fully dependent upon God's work. Now look at this verse here. Right between 12 and 13, we got a tiny three-letter word, for, F-O-R. This is important. It's a conjunction that helps connect the logic between these two verses, okay? This word speaks to the motivation of our work and the implication of God's work. It's important to understand that. Salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works. So we have to understand that logic there. And if you haven't already discovered it, as I've said several times, we've come to a point that we need to understand both divine enablement and human responsibility. Again, here is the mystery of how we work and God works together. It is a mystery. Don't try to figure it out. We are not God. But it is God who is involved in this work. We are faced with the mystery of this, and he's telling the saints of Philippi, he's telling them, God is working in them for his pleasure to accomplish his will, and why? For his good purpose. We are to work out our salvation because what? God enables us to do it. Have you ever thought about that? The reason you're able to work out all the beautiful aspects and blessings of your salvation is because God has enabled you to work those out. So it's true that we work, but why? It's because God works. Think about it like this. We love God. I I could probably go around this room and point to each, hey, do you love God? Yeah, I love God. Well, who loved who first? Did you love God first? Absolutely not. God loved you first. We love God. He loved us first. So guess what? We work But guess who worked in us first? God. God works in us. And then we work. See, the main idea Paul is stressing here is that God must work in us before he can work through us. And I always love to give testimony to what I'm preaching. Let me me give you some proof here. Let's talk about Moses for a second. Let's talk about Moses. This is before he went and fought with Pharaoh to release the Israel nation, okay? This is before. It took 40 years for God to bring Moses to a place where he could use him to lead the people of Israel. It took 40 years. And what was happening? Well, God was working in him so that one day he could work through him. God was molding Moses. He was shaping Moses. Moses was, had become a, 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 a shepherd which is a great occupation before you're going to lead millions and millions of people, right? He became a shepherd. He became a father. He became a husband. And during this time in Midian, God was molding and shaping him. Why? To be the perfect instrument for God's purposes. It wasn't Moses that was doing this work. It was God who was working in him, and we see the result of that work. Moses worked it out, did he not? I'm going to come back to Moses in a second. Look at verses 14 and 15. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, 
children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Wow. Grumbling and disputing can cause horrible problems for spiritual progress. Complaining and finding faults are not ingredients in the unification purposes. It's not. In fact, Paul preaches that these are definitely not part of what God is working into us. If we're grumbling and disputing, that's on us. We did. God's not working that into us. And he's telling them, be careful of this. They were to be lights in darkness. Who wants to enter a church where we are acting just like the world does, pointing fingers of blame, being disruptive and disturbed with our conversations and our actions and behaviors, right? Don't they want to enter a place where it is different, where people stand out differently from the world? And that was what he's telling them. Stop disputing. Stop grumbling. They were to be lights. Let's talk about Moses again. If we speak to Moses... Paul may have had in mind Moses and the unbelieving Israelites. Because if we look back to the wilderness generation in Deuteronomy, we can contrast Deuteronomy 32.5 with Philippians 2.15. I think Nick has that. Deuteronomy 32.5? Absolutely. They have dealt corruptly with him. They are no longer his children because they are blemished. They are a crooked and twisted generation. And look at 2.15. That you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. See, the Israelites experienced salvation at the Exodus. That is absolutely true. But they were a corrupt people. They were characterized by their grumbling, by their disputing, by their rebellion. Moses even declared that they were not even God's children. And we can see in Scripture that their track record of obedience, right, it increased further after his death. By contrast, we have the Philippians here who have a track record of obedience even in Paul's absence. Taking into account these two verses, it's clear that Paul's desire is that the Philippian believers stand out as lights in this world. And this all stems from our sovereign God working his good pleasure in our lives and in their lives, right, the Philippians, so that they become better witnesses in a world that desperately needs Christ. Listen, brothers and sisters, you and I right here, we are to stand out as well as God works in us because we need to be better witnesses in a world that doesn't just need Christ, that desperately needs Christ. And there is no one else who's going to stand but a true Christian believer to be that light, to reflect God's light. We are not to retreat from the world and live in isolation. I hear so many people say, well, I just, I kind of avoid the world. I step back and I kind of hide. We are not to uh, avoid and live in isolation. It's only when we are confronted with the needs of real life, the problems, the needs of others in real life that we shine all the brighter. If I carry a light outside during the day, it's not that significant. But if you carry that same bright light out in the darkness at night, it stands out even brighter. We are to embrace that mission of real life. We don't hide. We don't run. 
In fact, I love this verse. Um, as we stand out in a crooked and twisted generation, I can't help but think of Matthew 5, 14 through 16. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. See, guys, this is opportunity to be more Christ-like as we work out what he has worked in let me talk about a special group so we can really understand the significance of this. The Pharisees, in Scripture, the Pharisees isolated themselves. They were so insulated from reality that they created basically their own artificial self-righteousness. We see that in the Bible. Completely from what God wanted for them, they, they, they created this, right? And then they enforced this, and they enforced it with fear. They enforced it with bondage. In fact, they crucified Christ because he opposed that religion, that way, that form. He was against it. See, it's not by hiding from the world. It's not by leaving and hiding from the world that fulfills God's purposes in us. It's ministering to it directly that fulfills God's purpose and will for our lives. Directly, real life, real problems. Who stands out? The Christian believer, they stand out like a light. They are the testimony. They are the witness. Why? Because God is working in them and enabling them. It's not us. It's God who enables us. And then what does he say in 16? Holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. And then he goes on and says, hey, if I'm poured out like a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I'm glad. Rejoice with me, because I'm going to rejoice with you. Here's what he's talking about. When he says holding fast, obviously it's, it's gripping tightly, right? He's, you're clinging to this word. As we proclaim the gospel, as we make known the gospel, we hold on to it tightly. Why? Because holding fast, holding fast involves not compromising our relationships not compromising our behaviors, not allowing anything to pull us away from our commitment to God. That's why we hold fast. You don't just run out there and go, I'm going to be God's servant. You better be holding on to that word of life as you run out into the world and say you're going to be God's servant. We have to cling to it because it's not us. This is all about God working in us. So he talks about the day of Christ I want you to hold fast. I'm holding fast until the day of Christ. Here he's talking about Christ revealed, right? His return, uh, his glory manifest in our redemption, our resurrection. When we stand before him, here's what Paul's talking about, that day of Christ. He's saying, listen, I don't want it to be in vain. My labor, my running, I don't want it to be in vain. See, on this day, Paul will be able to rest knowing his labor was not in vain. Why? He's not sinfully boasting here. He's not sinfully boasting. He is so happy. And that pride, that pride, that godly pride, is because he's rejoicing in what God accomplished through him. That's why Paul is ecstatic and can express his joy. Because of what God did through him. That's what he's waiting on. 
And if I have to be a drink offering, a drink offering is symbolic of a life poured out for God. In the Old Testament Levitical system, a drink offering was pouring wine either on, on an altar or on ground as a sacrificial measure, right? And Paul sees his future death, his martyrdom that we all know came to be, his martyrdom. He sees this as a sacrifice in worship, and he's telling the Philippian saints, and this is for you. If I'm poured out like a drink offering, it's for you because it's a sign of Paul's life, a fully consecrated life to the Lord, and he rejoices in this. And not only him, he says, you've got to rejoice with me because we're in this together, partners, partakers. We're in this together. Rejoice with me. So let's review, in a sec- let's review kind of what we talked about. In our single-mindedness, our single-mindedness, following God, not our single-mindedness in, in our pleasures, or in our dreams, our single-mindedness in following God, living out His purposes, His will, we submit in mind and heart to Him. With the submissive mind, with the submissive mind, we come to understand that this is about service and it's about sacrifice. Oh, two words that haunt us, don't they? I gotta serve and I have to sacrifice? What do you want me to do and what do I have to sacrifice? See, here's the problem. A lot of people are looking at it outwardly. They're not looking at Christ. Remember last week I said, if you want to understand humility, you can't create it, you can't generate it. You have to look at the face of Christ if you're going to understand humility. Same thing. We have to see Christ in our service and our sacrifice. We have to see this in Christ. The single mind, right, leads to the submissive mind. Where we seek to live for Christ, oh, guess what's going to happen? we're going to realize that we also have to live for others. And this is what Paul is expressing. You and I cannot work up things like humility. We can't work up commitment to God's purposes. This has to come from within. It has to be within His power, His Spirit working in us and through us. We are called to work out individually our common salvation together. Let that digest for a second. We are called, right, individually to work out our common salvation together. This is all about our conduct. This is all about our manner and being worthy of the gospel. Is salvation personal? Yes, salvation is personal, but never an individual matter. Your salvation is not an individual matter. It's shared in common with the body. I look right here, right now at us. My salvation is shared with each and every one of you right here in this body, and your salvation is shared with me. We share it in common. Never an individual thing. This is what Paul means by working out your own salvation, okay? How do you apply this? You know, I hope I never, ever speak or preach to any of you and not give you some form of application because how do we apply this? It's a great message. God's Word, this is huge. This is huge, but what do I, what do, I do? Well, let's talk about admiration for a minute. You can admire a person, right? You can consider a person, they're so great. They're so great. They can inspire you, this great person that you admire. We all probably have people like that in our lives. But can they enable you, right? You might be inspired by them, but they, can they enable you? See, this person would have to enter your life 
share their talents, share their skills, which brought, probably brought your admiration in the first place. They'd have to enter your life and share these things, right? Because if they didn't, you wouldn't be able to attain their accomplishments. You wouldn't be able to attain the heights of their work. And that just doesn't happen. It takes so much more than an example on the outside. It takes power within. It takes enabling power from within. And this is the transformation that God brings to the individual, which in turn affects the life of believers. This is the transformation that happens individually that in turn affects us all. Because why are we all here? Did we all experience salvation? Yeah. Why do we serve together? Well, my salvation is personal. I, I, I can't play in your band. My salvation is personal. I can't pray for you. My, my salvation is personal. Absolutely not. Our, our salvation is designed individually to be expressed in the communal. Okay? So, God works with our individual hearts, and this work will what? Inevitably manifest itself, manifest itself excuse me, in our communal lives, our family of believers. This is where it will come out. I've heard it said like this, the harmony of the whole is the result of its particular parts. The harmony of the whole is the result of its particular parts, each one of us. Today's text makes sense in relation to the wider discussion at hand. Have you asked the question yet, Pastor Mark, what, what am I working out that God is working in? Has anyone thought that in their heads? What, what, what do I got to work out? Do you remember my intro? Do you, have you remember, did, when I recapped everything that Paul, just in these two chapters, what Paul has addressed, things like this, our manner of life, our citizenship in heaven, right? Our conduct, is it worthy of the gospel? Are we standing firm together for the faith of the gospel? Are we humbly considering each other in love and service with the mindset of Christ, that oneness? Are we doing that? Do we understand Christ's humility? Are we continuing in our obedience to God with a submissive mind and heart? Are we working out our common salvation? And there it is. Everything I've talked about, every aspect of our salvation, every beautiful privilege, every blessing is what we are working out because God has worked it in us. We are to reflect God. We are to be bright, shining lights. We are in the midst of a world that is crooked and twisted. We are to shine bright. How do we do that? Well, God enables each and every Christian believer to work out what he has worked in. And I gotta ask you this. Wouldn't you love to belong to a church where everyone worked out their salvation together? Could you imagine that? If every person that entered this building today desired to work out what God has worked in them for the benefit of others in that church, unstoppable. This is, amen. This is what Paul is telling the Philippian believers. This is what I want for you. I'm not going to be here much longer, I don't think. There is a chance that I am going to lose my life in my absence, whether I return to you or not. This is what I want for you. And this is what I want for us, and I hope that you desire it too. Brothers and sisters, let's work out our salvation together. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we are so grateful to you. We are so grateful for your word. And Father, we do want to cling to it. We want to hold fast to your word. We know that this is the living word of God, Lord. We know that this is what brings us to our knees. We know that this is the book, Father, that we study in order to progressively be more like you. Father, let us cling to your word as we fight, as we strive to become more Christ-like. And in doing so, Lord, help us understand through prayer and study that it's you who is enabling us from within to be able to do the things we do as we work them outwardly for love, service, sacrifice to each other. We pray for that, Lord. This church would turn Reedsville upside down, Father, if everybody in this building from here on out came in with the mindset of Christ to work out their salvation together. Father God, I'm praying right now for every single heart in this building that this becomes our ultimate desire. Father, I pray for the leadership of this church. I pray for the teachers of this church as we encourage, as we build in love, Father, that we promote you and you alone, Father, and, that, and in that promotion, Father, in that proclamation of you, that we confess to all who will listen that Jesus is Lord, and here's why we love our Jesus. Here's why we follow our Jesus. Here's why we believe everything that our Jesus has said. We hold fast to your word, Lord. I pray for every heart, Lord, to just want this and desire it. Change us, Father. I pray that your spirit starts to chisel away on each of our hearts, Father, bringing us to this point. You want unification within the body. We have got to be unified. You say it over and over in Scripture, Lord. Why aren't the churches listening? Father God, I pray for this right now for this church. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your blessings, Father. We thank you for everything you do for us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.